Welcome to the MIT Sloan Sports Analytics Conference podcast presented by ESPN and 42 Analytics. This is Jessica Gelman, who along with Daryl Morey co-founded and chair the conference with a fantastic group of MIT Sloan students each year. Thanks for listening and enjoy. Good afternoon, and thank you again for joining us in the 2022 MIT Sports Analytics Conference. My name is Zach Schmitz, and I'm a first year MBA student at MIT Sloan. And I'm very excited to introduce to you guys our next panel, a one-on-one -on -one conversation with Calvin Johnson and Bomani Jones. Um, both don't need introductions, but um, Calvin Johnson, a former uh, NFL, a uh, current NFL Hall of Famer, and a co-founder at Primitive, and Bomani Jones, a commentator and host at ESPN. Um, our panel will run for 55 minutes, and we will leave 10 minutes for questions at the end. Submit all of your questions on Twitter using Calvin Johnson one-on-one. -on -one. Over to you, Bomani. All right. I'm also going to start with shameless self-promotion. March 13th on HBO, I have a new show coming called Game Theory with Bomani Jones. Please check that out. I appreciate that. All that clapping ain't nothing. Watch it, damn it. Watch it. Um, I was talking to Calvin a couple of days ago. The fun fact is I went to college uh, with his older sister at Clark Atlanta University. And I remember I was at some people's houses one day and the Georgia Tech game was on and this was his junior year and it pops up and somebody's like, oh yeah, man, so that's EJ's brother. I was like, oh wow, right? Like that was like, it really came home to me. And then it also drilled into me something we talked about a couple of days ago where I said, you chose to go play football at Georgia Tech, which is really hard. <laughs> like a legitimate hard school for people who are only doing school. Yeah. For you playing football, doing that. Like how rigorous and difficult was that? I mean, one, as an athlete there at Georgia Tech, you stuck out like a sore thumb. You know, um, the academics there are extremely hard. I remember you told me the other day on the phone that, you know, somebody that was, you know, supposed to be really good academically got like a 2-5. You know, that made me feel very good about myself <laughs> from my time at Tech. But I honestly went to Tech because, you know, I had Georgia, I had Georgia Tech, and I had a couple other schools there in the Southeast that I was looking at. But my thing was, okay, if I go to Georgia Tech, if I get a degree from Georgia Tech, I go work anywhere I want to work. And that was really the mind frame going to Tech. It wasn't that, you know, I'm going to go here and play football and make it to the NFL. Yeah, we wanted to do those things, but at the same time, just being realistic. Mm -hmm. I also have another friend that knew him in high school, and when he would say these same things about getting a job, he was like, dude, you ain't going to get no job. <laughs> it was like abundantly clear on the team. This is like, what is this? I'm going to be able to get a job wherever I go. Like, you ain't know where it was that you were going to get a job, but then football's over, and this new life begins with you, and you're working with this company, Primitive. And so if you could introduce to the people briefly what your company is doing in the cannabis space. For sure. Um, you know, Primitive, we founded it in Michigan several years ago. Um, basically, primitive, the name means, is it, the reason why we named it primitive is because this plant medicine that we use, plant medicines in general, uh, have been, you know, uh, been here for the ages, you know, and that's why we call it primitive because it's been a way of healing that people have been using, you know, since the beginning of humankind. So I th thought it was just a fitting name to, to, to make it primitive. And it's almost, I guess, a measure of irony now because everything is a tech company, Ralph. No matter what people make, they say that this is a tech company, but so, but the cannabis space, I think, also feels futuristic to people because the acceptance and things has changed. But the point you make is a valid one, which is this is actually something that you could almost say is ancient. Mm -hmm. So for you, what was the journey toward getting to making the decision that this is something that you'd want to do as a business? Or even not just as a business, but it has to be a passionate pursuit to be willing to put the amount of energy into it that you are. Yeah, two things. One of it is timing, and, and, and two is just my personal experience. 
You know, I'm so used to hearing growing up, I mean, I didn't touch cannabis until I got to college when I first started experimenting with it, but growing up, you know, it, it was something that affected the black community so much that, you know, my parents, anybody, a lot of people in the black community, you know, you get shunned, you know, if you're actually using it. You know, I couldn't go in my mama's house smelling like cannabis, you know, she'd probably kill me, you know, but I think that, you know, the other part of that is that, um, uh, damn, I lost my point there. <laughs> well, basically just, to get you to making the decision that you wanted to do this so, business. Yeah, the second part, um, I really wanted to get to the science of it. Because you get you know, used to hearing everybody say, this is what this, this is, this is negative, this is, you know, the, 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 the bad stereotype with it. And, but for me personally, I knew it was good for, you know, knew it was great for sleep. I know it was good, great for anxiety. The things, some of the things that I might have dealt with, and I felt like it helped with those things unintentionally. It wasn't. I didn't set out for it to do these things. I was more trying to get recreationally, but it wasn't until you know I got and got to the league and was able to you know maybe partake a little bit more because you know you're in college, you don't have the funding to be able to you know go out and get those things. Um, but being able to actually you know use it more, actually use it medicinally, you know at that point because you're dealing with pain, you're dealing with insomnia. And those things, um, you know, cannabis was able to, 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 to help me with these things. And so at that point, I was like, okay, let's get to the science of this because there's a lot of uh, healing, perp uh, this is a healer. So let, let's get to the science of it and find out what are these healing properties. And so I think that, you know, along with timing and being in Michigan at the time and the cannabis industry starting to bloom, um, starting to bud uh, for about four years ago now, um, we're doing real estate after I played ball and <clears throat> started to find properties in the quote unquote green zones. And we were like, myself and my business partner, Rob, was like, hey man, like we know what a good team looks like. We're passionate about this because we use it for our own well-being, our own quality of, quality of life. Why not put together a team? We know what a good team and a bad team looks like being in Detroit. Let, let's put together a good team and, 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 and make this something real. And um, so, I mean, long story short, we're, this is where we are today. Now, I'd be smoking a lot of weed if I played for the Lions, too, personally. <laughs> like, I'm not, not to speak to you on this thing, but I mean, I would understand. But there's almost an irony to it, though, because the NFL and there, it has changed now, but the mm -hmm. prohibition they had on marijuana for the longest time. And one thing I always explain to people about those prohibitions in sports, never forget in the NBA, the prohibition did not come up until 1999. Like it wasn't some antiquity that made it all the way through and nobody changed it. When it was time to exert control over the players in 1999, they decided we were gonna do this, except nobody actually wanted anybody to test positive because then it messes up with the money altogether. With the NFL, pain management is such a thing that happens and teams can provide you things to help the pain that don't necessarily help you personally. What did you think as a player about the fact that, hey, you know, there's actually this thing that helps and is a whole lot safer and they technically don't want you to do that? It's, <laughs> it, that's the tough part about it. You know, it's, it's, it's almost like I was watching a video the other day where this dude had Parkinson's and he was taking an RSO and he was able to calm down his Parkinson's so he could just literally stand there and hold his hands out. My buddy Peter was showing me this video and his, his, uh, his, his trouble with that was that he was in a state where, he, where it was still illegal. You know, he couldn't partake. And I think that's the toughest part about this is that we see so many abilities, so many ways that this, the application of cannabinoids can help people but obviously it being schedule one, you know, it's only so much that we could do. Only private companies, yeah, they could put up money to research, but who can do that, you know, and still maintain their business? You know, the government's not allowing it. So it's, it's upon universities to go and, uh, and, 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 and move the ball, advance the ball forward here 
um, in this industry. All right, and so for people who don't quite know, when you say Schedule One, what do you mean? Uh, that is illegal. It's, it's the highest category of illegal substances. Which and, is, and what's in the same? That's like cocaine, oxy, and heroin. And any, yeah, oxy, all those. You know, um, obviously the part of the um, epidemic going on right now with uh, with oxy and um, and the prescription drugs. So being able to have cannabis and, and show uh, the benefits as an alternate um, he, uh, healing agent, you know, it's that's, that's, that's important, especially right now with the epidemic that we're going through. But obviously, that a lot of that, a lot goes into that. And like I was talking about the schedule one, uh, being able to actually have government aid and research, you know, to push the ball forward. That's really where we got to go if we really want to, you know, uh, uh, advance cannabis as it should be. Obviously, adding the, the science and technology that we have <clears throat> to all these primitive plants, you know, that's really uh, where where we got to go, where, where we should be heading in the future. And it's not putting synthetic things into the into our body. It's things derived of the earth. And cannabis has been his plant cannabis and other plant medicines, you know, are derived from the earth and they're, they're okay to put in your body. All right. So when you talk about the science behind your company, what is unique about what you guys are doing? Yeah. So I think that for us, we have a couple pillars. Uh, I think one main thing is, is the, the research side of it. You know, being able to have uh, an educational uh, uh, background, uh, not just being out here and, you know, just trying to make as much. Uh, money as we can. Of course, it's a business. You know, the, the, the dollars affect the bottom line, but it's really about the people. You know, it's really about helping the masses and in the end game. If we can, you know, get to a point where we're able to create different applications of cannabis and, 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 and get it to the masses, I mean, that's, that's really what, what the end goal is. All right. So, in the state of Michigan, where the laws have changed and now put you in a position where you could do this, what has been the progression for you, like within the state, and seeing how the laws have changed and how things have gotten easier for you to get this done? Um, I'm not gonna say it's gotten easier, you know, because regulations they're still making them up and they're they're changing as 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 time goes. Um, I mean, for us, just being able to you know be affluent really has been a, been really the leg up for us, you know, in this industry right now. Um, but not so. Not, it's not quite the case for you know so many others that look like me. Mm -hmm. You know, not everybody is able to you know put up the money that it takes to run this kind of business. It takes millions of dollars, not tens of thousands, but millions of dollars to do these kind of things. So, um, a big part of uh, pushing this industry forward is affecting those, having a positive effect on those that have been affected so negatively by cannabis. And that's really going into the social equity side of things. And the tough part about social equity and cannabis is that every state does it backwards. Every state waits until they get into a lawsuit by the minorities that, that, who weren't given a chance to get into the industry. And then we want to talk about social equity. So that's the tough part, the most frustrating part to me um, about this industry. The hardest part is just like just watching as those that have been affected not have an opportunity to partake in the industry. So is there anything that you can do from your position to ease that part of it? Um, really just to highlight the, you know, the, the, you know, the, the healing power of the plant, you know, to help remove that negative stereotype and um, just to really just put out in front and in the forefront for people's eyes, eyes to see is that this is a healer. This is something that obviously it's not, it's not something that's new. People have been using this for a long time. You know, if we just go back and look at some research, but I'll break it down a little further, you know, really just understanding how cannabis affects your own body, you know, learning about your endocannabinoid system, 
you know, learning how the, you know, THC, CBD, and terpenes all come together to, you know, do different things within your body and understand what those different components and isolates do individually, you know, I think there's so much that we as a people can do just to, you know, look back, take a, take a step back and just learn about how it interacts with your body. And I feel like that will take us a long way and especially get to the, help us, you know, fast forward to a point where, you know, this can be personalized medicine. Now, particular to, I guess, athletes, but really with football players. And I think something that is very easy for people to ignore is the amount of pain mm -hmm. that football players, not just after playing, but also while they're playing, yes. live with and endure. For you, where you talked about, you know, perhaps going toward cannabis just for recreation and then finding these other things, had you also reached a point where you were also just looking for a solution to just day-to-day -day making it through an NFL season? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's part of that, uh, the medical healing we're using, obviously. Just the day-to-day -day part, big part of that is sleep. A big part of that is just dealing with your pain. So if you got something that can, you know, take the edge off the pain, you got something that's going to help you sleep through the night, I mean, that's the largest part in getting up the next day and having everything you need to go and do it again. And obviously, you know, with us being in the NFL, it's a little different now. Halfway through my time in the NFL, you know, they changed the drug policy kind of where it's not where you can just go in the trainer's office and get what you need, dig your hand in and get as many Vicodin or whatever you need, you know, and I think that, you know, um, the access to those kind of, uh, those kind of medicines was really just a, almost like a microcosm of society in general. You know, we got to see people that get addicted to these things and it leads to other things, but it's not, it's not the same with cannabis. You know? Yeah, like actually it, my freshman year of college, right before we started, I'll never forget, the dude who ran our scholarship program looked at us and he told us something that didn't make a lot of sense to me when I was 16 and listening to him, but he said, if I could, I would rather buy you all the weed you can smoke than you ever drink, but only one of them was legal, which didn't make a great deal of sense <laughs> to me. But then I understood as I got older what he was saying. Mm -hmm. And I always wondered with the culture of football, while this outward prohibition existed, if behind the scenes, coaches and people like that understood what the trade was and we were just all keeping this, everybody just chill out about it and we won't have no problems. Yeah, I mean, speak to that a little bit. I mean, everybody knew what the testing policy was, you know, from the coaches on down. And it was pretty messed up that, you know, the, the day that started on was 420, you know, between the, the time when we first start getting tested to like the time when we stopped was like August 8th and 9th, you know, when the training camp starts. But it's that window. Everybody knows it's the window. Once you get that test and then that window, you're good until the next window comes around. But I just thought it was like a, you know, a big forget you because they started at 420. No, that's the, it was obvious spite, right? And, and I just wonder who the person was in the office that found out about it, right? Because there's somebody that came up to somebody at some office and was like, so do you know what April 20th is? No, tell me. Oh, well, we'll start it right then. <laughs> that's exactly you know, what happened. Anybody who knew wasn't going to do that. I think that's probably the best way that we wind up putting that. But for you as a person, the transition into business, Mm -hmm. How, well, first of all, not just into business, but out of football. Yeah. For you, how smooth or not smooth was that transition? When I got done playing, I was, I was always looking forward to the time, you know, over the last couple of years that, you know, I get done, I don't have anything to do, I don't have a schedule, I can just sit down and chill out. I was looking forward to it. I enjoyed it my first couple of months after, after playing, but it didn't take long for juices to get flowing, like, man, I need something to do. I need something to do. So I just started in real estate. Started doing some real estate projects between Atlanta and Detroit. 
And you know, that was taking up my time. You know, I was enjoying it. And then, like I said, we got opportunities started to show up in the quote unquote green zones. And it took a couple of those opportunities to show up before we was like, let's do this. You know, we were really just thinking like, man, like we could lease start, we could get the real estate, we could lease it out, you know, to an operation, operator and, you know, just make our coin that way. But just having the passion, really wanting to get to the science of, of the plant, really like, and I go back to when I play ball, like, okay, if I want to be the great, greatest receiver I can be, I need to get down to the science of this, of this position. You know, how do, and then, so if I want to be the best cultivator or just operator in the cannabis space, let's, let's, let's get down to the science of the plant so that we can really, you know, elevate and tell the masses, you know, the good things, the healing properties that this plant has, has to offer. And it's really, I think that's big upon us being a sports figure because, you know, I'm not saying everything's good for everybody, but what's good for, good for the goose is good for the gander, you know? So we create products that are able to help us out, help our brethren out in the NFL, help out those that are dealing with pain, insomnia, even chronic, um, even cognitive issues. Everybody has these issues. We can help the masses. Now, one thing I want to ask before we go too far, you mentioned the green zones. What are those? Yeah, green zones are, are areas where you can actually have cannabis operations. And I'm not sure how it works here in Michigan, but in, in, in Detroit, they're usually around industrial, industrial zones. Got you. They, they all seem to be everywhere, like places where it's like, oh, that's a strip club. Why is that here? <laughs> oh, and then you can grow your stuff. Anybody in affluent areas, they're not going to want it. They're not going to want it any kind of affluent areas. They feel like the smell is going to do this and that, even though everybody in that area, half of them have cannabis probably in their pocket. So, yeah. So what kinds of products is Primitive making? Yeah. So we started in cannabis. We started with the flower. You know, the basis of everything that comes from, from comes in this industry, from come, all the, all the, all the uh, products that come in this industry. But now, um, you know, we speak in our mission to, that we want to be innovative in this space. And all that is is just creating new applications for, for the masses to consume can, cannabinoids. And, you know, this, the negative stereotype, part of the stigma that goes along with it is, part of it is the bad smell. You know, I don't want to smoke and then go here and then I have it lingering on me all day. Or, I, you know, I don't want to, you know, that's really the big thing about it. But if you could create a way for people to medicate themselves, to elevate their wellness in a way that's discreet, in a way that's personal to them, I think that that's, that's really how we win. All right, now you mentioned the stigma, and I wonder, is the, is the stigma still a stigma at this point in time? Like, is it generational or has, because now we're at the point now where it's almost, it's almost like gambling, where it's legal in enough places and people don't, aren't really necessarily shy about talking about it. Mm -hmm. So has it reached a point, especially where you are in doing business, where you're noticing perhaps that having to talk people into it, like you might have to talk your grandma into it, right? But otherwise it's not quite as difficult as it had been. To that point, I didn't talk my grandma into it, but I got my granddad's brothers mm -hmm. and I got the number one, you know, is my, is my mom. My mom, like when I first got into the industry, my mom dang near disowned me. <laughs> you know, um, you know, growing up in the South, Bible Belt, you know, it was just for 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 African American families, cannabis was just a big no-no. You know, and that's not just African American families; this is really anybody. If you're from, especially if you're from the South, you just knew that you know you get caught cannabis, you're going straight to jail. So you know, having Miss Johnson uh, convert over, and it's really through topicals, you know, and education. It, it start with education. You know, just really having further conversations. You know, what does the plant do? Breaking it down, talking about the different um, compounds, talking about your endocannabinoid system and how it interacts with your body. So I'm most proud to say that, you know, I have my mom asking me for topicals, like anytime I come down to Georgia, 
because I mean, they're helping. She sees how they're helping her. Yeah, I took a trip to Denver for a concert and my mother asked me to bring her back a topical of salve. And I had to hit my brother and try to find out if this was a setup. Like I didn't, she, she seemed far too comfortable asking me to do this. Like how, what makes you even think that I would know how to get such things? What makes you think I would go to such a place? Like I was really trying to figure out what level of lies I was going to have to tell. And then it was like, nah, she, you know, she has, I forget which condition, and you know, just that simple topical work. And then I was like, oh, I guess I'll give this a try because I was not looking for medicine. I was just going to Denver. And you know, it came back around. It was just like, oh, okay, cool. This is, you know, this is where it goes. And so I wonder, as we talk about the stigma about as this industry is gone, for you, kind of the age ranges and demographics of people that you're going for, and is it kind of a thing where you, know, you have a specific way that you approach this for older people versus younger people? I think that, yeah, you definitely got to have uh, different methods. But one thing that I love to see in not only my stores, but other stores, you see 60 and over coming through. You know, we have, um, you know, at our store out in, in, in Niles, Michigan, we have a huge customer base that are older, that are elderly. And part of that is because obviously we're, we're offering great prices. You know, part of that is, you know, we have great customer service. That's a big part of it. But another, I think a big part, another big part of it is that, you know, they, they feel like we're there to help. We feel like they're, we're there to educate. You know, we feel like we're, we're definitely a cut above the rest out there. So uh, I think that, you know, my most pleasure comes in, 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 in one, educating and having that older crowd as customers because I feel like from that, it'll be, it'll be a trickle-down effect. And the stigma obviously isn't as, isn't as strong with the younger generations. Can you imagine a day where the NFL and Major League Baseball and the NHL and the NBA are the ones doing this educating for their players on this? I, I honestly, um, maybe the NBA first, but MLB and NFL, uh, you know, hopefully they, you know, they lean on, on some people that are in the industry like us to come out there and, and educate because, you know, we've been in it, you know, we're elbows deep in it, and uh, I mean, we know it. Yeah, I think, I think the NFL has said that they want to do some measure of research into doing this. And I guess what I struggle with, and maybe you have a bit more institutional understanding of, something that makes sense why they would be so perhaps resistant to it, especially as the laws have changed in such ways that wouldn't cause them problems. Let's rephrase that for me. So as things have changed mm -hmm. and it's gone along, we have a product that we know can help its players. Right and the laws mm -hmm. overall are moving in a direction to make it to where there's no real restriction in doing that. And the federal government doesn't even seem that interested in really cracking down on people about it, under, at least under this administration. Mm -hmm. So why not? I mean, you gotta, I mean, that snowball's been rolling for a long time. You know, it started in California and every year there's more and more, um, or states that, that, that vow in. At some point, I think it probably happened not until all the states go in, you know, that we'll actually see legislation or yeah, legalization. And honestly, I mean, that, that could be a long process. I mean, it could be, I mean, I was hoping that it would happen within five years, but I was talking to somebody the other day and kind of, we kind of broke down the different things that need to happen. And I'm like, man, that could be like a whole decade easily, you know, before you get the legislation, you gotta get all the states on board and states aren't gonna wanna give up their rights to how they, you know, do it in their own state too. So to take it, everything and, and have a one, legal rule federally and, and for that to uh, permeate throughout the states, that's going to be tough. So I think it's going to take a lot of all those states coming together uh, to make it happen. But uh, I mean, it can go, it can, the first things first is, is just removing it from being schedule one so that we can start to make the progress. Well, do you think this is something that players would perhaps advocate toward as they push with the league? Because I've always wondered if the problem with them as a bargaining chip is 
asking if you can smoke weed really looks bad. Like people just don't feel like that's the place that you're supposed to put your foot down. But even with these, you know, even with these benefits, I've always, I've wondered if for the players, this was beneficial. We saw that with the bubble, with the NBA, for example, that they decided basically if we're going to trap y'all in a hotel and y'all can't go nowhere, we really can't drug test you. That's just a really unfair thing for us to do. But it mm -hmm. demonstrated though, that some level of pushback could make life a lot easier. And we've seen things get a lot more lax. Yeah, I mean, you got to have some pushback, but I mean, in the NFL, I mean, they kind of go as <laughs> they go as the government goes, really. You know, it's, I don't see uh, uh, too much happening there anytime soon. Right. So we talk like is you and I have talked about this here and you've mentioned some things and some terms, but other than just like this broad heading of pain, specific benefits that your products can work with and just generally what all of these things can help with like yeah. what were some more specific things because i think a lot of people who um are skeptical just here you know you talk to the wrong person they're like dude it fixes everything and they're like <laughs> yeah everything okay man but like specifically like where do you think there's something that these cannabis products help that i don't think people necessarily realize um well i'll start with our focus you know our focus with um in our research studies with you know, Harvard, the IPI there, the International Phytomedicines Institute, and that's a consortium of schools from Harvard, Johns Hopkins, UPenn, even um, uh, some schools down in Jamaica. But I think that um, going forward, you got to, uh, mm, I think that uh, just, Hit me with the question. Yeah, it's kind of the specific things that people may not know that cannabis can help with. Oh, I mean, like I say, oh, going to go back to our points. We're, we're, we're focused on pain and cognitive issues. So pain is the most readily, you know, available thing that people could grasp that it can help with. Uh, insomnia is another thing that people could grasp. Uh, anxiety. Um, you know, I could go down a list, you know, you get into the different terpenes, the different cannabinoids and what they do. Um, they're able to inhibit your pain. They're able to, I mean, curb cancers. You know, these are the things that we're seeing at, at Harvard that they're able to do uh, with different cannabinoids. But like I say, it's so much more uh, research that goes into it. It's, so, it's a lot of change that has to happen too. There has to be different applications. We can't, you know, expect it to be a panacea, a cure-all, and we're just, you know, using it in its most primitive form and just smoking it. You know, there's got to be other ways, and some of those other ways is, and some of the things that we're moving forward and being innovative in is when it comes to using nanotechnology. And, you know, what, that's, that's the next part of, that's the next thing that's coming with primitive, is that's primitive performance. And it's really bringing uh, uh, cannabis and bringing, putting science and the technology behind it and creating such a small particle, such a small particle size and that's measured in nanometers that it could bypass the intestinal process and get right to the bloodstream. And then, it could, then being that way, there's more bioavailability because it doesn't have to go, it doesn't get caught up in the intestinal tract and you're losing the body, it's not able to get to the bloodstream and then in turn have its desired effect. So getting those particle sizes down, changing, using different applications, providing, um, you know, you got your topicals, you got your drinks, um, but in a nano, in a form of nanotechnology, it's going to allow us to use less cannabis, but it be more impactful, more efficacious. So um, I think taking the industry there, obviously, is going to be a big part, and, and it's going to be a, do do uh, do a huge justice to um, removing the, um, the stigma 
and uh, I guess the naysayers, you know, uh, surrounding cannabis. So how do you like sell and talk to the layman, for lack of a better term, about these technological things? Because I hear that and I'm like, wow, that sounds really interesting technical. And the people are like, okay, but can I get high? Like, you know, like, like how, how do you convey that message to people who might not be as sophisticated? Um, I, think, I think you could break it down, you know. You could just tell them. <laughs> I ain't gonna say you could just tell them. But, I mean, just start, I mean, first thing I said, educate yourself in your endocannabinoid system. But that might be a lot. <laughs> so what do you know about TAC and CBD? You know, um, TAC, it creates psychoactive effects. CBD doesn't do the same thing, but it creates more bodily effects. So, you know, if, and, and then when you bring them all together, you have what is, what is called entourage effect. And that entourage effect is the CAC, the CBD, and the terpenes all working together. These are all different cannabinoids and components of the, of, of the plant uh, work together to, to create a better uh, effect for, for whatever you're looking for. But in order to explain it, I guess in a layman's turn, is that <laughs> without saying, you know, TAC gets you high, CBD, you know, uh, can help you with your pain. So recreational, if you want to have recreational fun with it, uh, I'm not going to say just use products using THC because THC has a lot of medicinal benefits. You know, use that, like I say, in the entourage effect. But um, it's hard to just break it down in layman's terms besides the fact that, you know, it's a healer. And without going into all the different terms, I mean, everybody knows what cannabis is. You know, it, people feel like, you know, anytime you are, you're altering your, your mind frame, it's a negative thing. But it's not necessarily the case when you have somebody that you have kids, um, that might be dealing with different ailments. You have a man that has Parkinson's, you know, and, 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 and they need these things to help them that, that uh, other drugs can't do. So it's hard to, it's really, I think you can explain it best by what is the, what's the problem? And then, okay, what is the solution? Not, not necessarily what's the problem, what's the solution, but what is the issue at hand and how can this help treat that solution? Okay, you have insomnia. Okay, TAC and CBD can help you with your insomnia. At what dose? That's a lot of research that has to be done because we're, I think getting down to microdosing is going back to what I was talking about, personalized medicine. And that's where it's going. That's where this industry is going. But at the same time, there's so much research, like I was talking about earlier, that has to go through. And obviously, you know, as private companies, we can't do it all. Right. You know, Harvard, the IPI, they can't do it all. You know, we need the federal government to step in. Also, what role does the big pharmaceutical industry play in this? Because a lot of the, they, you are kind of competition, I guess you yeah. could say. I would imagine that, the, you know, you, you can only believe, uh, imagine that the pharmaceutical company doesn't want, you know, not just cannabis, but plant medicine in general, you know, to become prevalent again. But I honestly feel like once you, I mean, all the technology and science that they use with the synthetic drugs, they just apply some of those things to these natural living plants that we have we could come up with some great solutions. All right, so I kind of want to talk about the role that athletes play in really advancing this discussion, mm -hmm. because I think athletes are not only forward-facing figures, but also figures that we view as being healthy, mm -hmm. if nothing else, that yeah. we know care about their bodies and all of this. So what do you think is the importance that the athlete plays in conveying the message that these products can be helpful to people? Well, I mean, athletes have a loud voice. You know, um, a lot of things, people look up to athletes and look to see what they're doing and, and try to emulate some of those things you know, for good and bad. But I think that being able to, you know, be a, uh, uh, a positive influence here in this space, um, educating people, uh, just creating awareness, I think that's the best thing as, us as athletes can do. 
uh, in the position that we're in. And obviously, you know, coming from an authentic place from, you know, where we've tried it, we've had our own experiences to the point now where we're elbows deep in the business, learning how this, how this actually, how it actually works, to now really getting down into the science of it and really trying to create those innovative products that's, that, um, that we've planned out to do. Um, we've got a long way to go in this industry, but, you know, I think athletes are, are athletes, celebrities in general, are what are what's going to change the minds um, of the masses. Also, there's, this is a business, right? And mm -hmm. the economics of this are interesting. I think we're talking about a $30 billion industry is a number that gets thrown around a lot. So I think people look at this as almost being the easiest thing to get into to get money, right? Because, oh, there's all these people who want this product or whatever it is. But for you, in building the business and looking at the margins and everything else, what has that experience been like? Because as much as I'm sure you would like to help the world and heal all of our pain, you would also <laughs> like to get paid. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, it, like you say, it is a business. And I, what I found to be the, the toughest thing in this business is really just the people. You know, you could put all the processes in place and have all that stuff set out, all your SOPs, you know, everybody knows what to do, but it's really just dealing with the people issues, making sure your culture is right. Obviously, you're going to deal with the numbers, but it's really people and culture. That's really the toughest thing. It's not so much as tough. It's just really just setting the, 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 the foundation at the beginning so that everybody comes in. They're under the same, you know, VMC. They're under the same mission, vision, and, you know, and operate with the same kind of core values. I think that understanding that part of it, having and building a team, that's really the, 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 the mission is really to put a team, you know, people best in class together that can come together, you know, achieving for excellence under that one goal. You know, that's really what the mission is. We, the vision is to create products to, you know, help people understand the healing uh, properties of the plant and to be innovative in the industry. But you have to have a great team in order to do those things that you, that you plan, on, plan on doing that are all on the same, um, same core. And one thing also about this industry, you guys attract really passionate people to work within this. Like I took a tour of another company a while ago and that was the thing is, and not even, I, mean, I think people get in the stereotypical Cheech and Chong type stuff when they look at it, but this is a space where the people who work in it typically are really, really into what it is that they're doing. Oh yeah, passionate. People are, pa I mean, it's, it's hard not to be passionate. You get to walk in a room of flowers, you know, that, you know, varying scents and fragrances and just to be able to, you know, to, to work with a living object and know that your care, whatever you put into this thing, it's, it's, it's going to exude that. So, um, you know, being able to be in this industry, I'm not necessarily <laughs> into flower rooms, but it's just, it's awesome just to go into these rooms and understand that, hey, that someday you're going to be helping somebody. <laughs> yeah, but there's also some dude over there acting like it's a damn bonsai tree and like just... <laughs> Like every Edward Scissorhands move that you could possibly make and everything else like this. Like this is, I've been waiting for somebody to make a television show about one of these companies or somewhere like, just like an actual company, not somebody running the underground because it is just like any it. other show that you have. Okay, well, there we go. 2023 20, on HBO. <laughs> so your former teammates and former players, like how many of them have you dealt with that are also operating in the same space? Um, hmm. Probably got a handful of guys that are operating in the same space. It's not, it's not like I say, you, for one, you got to be in the right state. Your state might not have it. So being in Michigan, you know, there's some, you know, Boston's the area, um, you know, obviously Cali, but that market is already so saturated. So, you know, you're looking for new markets. And most of the guys I know, they are over here on the East Coast for the most part because that's where all the new markets are and they have a chance to, you know, make some hay from the ground up. So I'm curious, you personally, if you did not have the access to these healing mechanisms. How much different do you think your post 
playing career would be? If I didn't have access to cannabis, you know, during my, you know, just my, my playing days yeah, and, yeah, and whatnot. Yeah, and after now. Probably would have stopped playing a lot earlier. <laughs> I probably, 100%. You know, I was, I was going to retire the year before I actually did, but uh, my dad taught me in the stands, so, yeah, I would have retired earlier. Well, why did you say, when your dad talked you into it, what made you want to stay at that point? Um, only the only reason why I stayed is because, you know, he asked me, you know, you think you could do it again? And I paused, sat there and thought about it. He was like, since you're thinking about it, you could do it again. But it's really just the pain at the end of the day what made me just fall out of love with it. You know, you're doing something and you're just constantly living in pain while you're doing it. There's no quality of life behind that. You know, and it's really, that's, that's really what we want to, you know, be able to, you know, help everybody with is just quality of life. You know, your element might not be, might be different from whatever somebody else is dealing with. But, and I'm not saying cannabis is a, is a panacea, but plant medicines in general, there's a, there's a solution. I feel like, I truly feel like the Lord put everything we need on this earth that we need, so, yeah. One thing I'm curious about with football players, because I always say you get into it when it's just fun and when your body can bounce back, and there's no way you know when you're 14 and you're going for this, mm -hmm. like, what is going to be on the back end. Like, at what point do you, did you realize, like, as a player, like, oh, this is just what it's going to feel like? It wasn't until the NFL. You know, you're in college, you know, don't really get hurt. You know, don't need massages twice a week. You know, you don't have to use a chiropractor or whatnot. It's just once you get into the league, though, you know, everybody's bigger, faster. You know, that's when it all, that's when it hits. And, um, you know, you, you, you're going through all your ailments. And that's really when, when my cannabis use really started to, started to pick up, especially with, for me, you know, they're offering us the Vicodins, the Oxycodins, the Percocet. For me, that just made me feel terrible. My whole sense of like balance and proprioception was off. And so just sick to the stomach. I remember when I jacked up my finger, you know, they would give me, they'd give me a whole bottle of Percocet and Vicodins to take. And I was in New York, you know, it, it was not legal at the time, but I was feeling so terrible from the Percocet and the Vicodin that it gave me from my finger that, you know, I would just, you know, limit myself and maybe take one in the morning just to knock off the edge. But then I was just using cannabis you know, whether it was an edible or, or I would actually smoke to, for the rest of the day just to, you know, keep me, get me throughout the day just because the, the effect that those uh, substances had on my body. Um, it's not the same for everybody, but for me, it just wasn't for me. And I feel like anything, like I say, that comes from the earth is free to go in my body. And you also mentioned, like, cognitively, the effects that this has. And I remember I was talking to one former player and I think this was less cognitive than it was mood-based depression and things mm -hmm. like that. And he just reached out to me and I don't even know him that well. Mm -hmm. You know, I try to reach out and just say, hey man, is there anything that's helping out? And the response on the text was, weed, LOL. But the LOL wasn't a laugh. Like this was, this was the thing that he used to right. kind of balance and measure himself. Right. So with the cognitive stuff, I do wonder, I think that's another term that feels kind of broad to people. Yep. Like kind of specifically, what does it do for you cognitively? Cognitively, um, for cannabis-wise, cannabis use, it really just goes back to rest. Now, if you know, if you can't, if you're not resting, if you're not getting the hours that you need, you can't function. Your reflexes don't move, aren't, aren't, as, aren't, as, aren't as quick as they usually are. Um, as far as cannabis and, and, and cognitive function, there's a lot of research going on right now. When I think uh, cognitive function, I'm, I'm thinking more, there's other plant medicines that are able, that we're seeing that are able to help out uh, more as far as cognitive function, like psilocybin, you know, mushrooms, you know, I just say. But being able to, you know, apply different plant medicines, not just cannabis. Yeah, we're, we're a cannabis company, but I really like to be, we're a plant medicine company at the end of the day. And, you know, yeah, cannabis can help uh, cognitively and uh, mentally. 
the research, uh, obviously we're not doing that research, but the research is out there from Harvard, from the IPI, that there's some benefits there. But I think that that goes more so into another, um, into another uh, uh, plant medicine. And I'm not saying psilocybin is the end all be all, but there are a lot of more other plant medicines that I think that could help out um, with cognitive and mental function. Now that's an interesting idea I really hadn't thought too much about is the potential for this to be a bridge to these other plant medicines. Mm -hmm. And th is that kind of the direction where this game is going for others? Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you know, we can't limit ourselves and leave everything in front of us. You know, at the end of the day, um, plant medicines is really what it is. Cannabis is our focus right now, but plant medicine in general, that's really what the IPI is here that when we're working with the consortium of schools, it's the International Phytomedicine Institute. Phytomedicine just means plant medicine. And it's amazing just to see the different plant medicines from around the world in different uh, regions that are able to do different things, whether it's helping with cancer or helping with your, uh, 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 whether you have hunger issues, um, different, a variety of things. But right now, the focus for us is cannabis and um, dealing with pain. Now, a bit of a philosophical dilemma. When you take something like this that does good for people and then infuse it with a healthy dose of good old fashioned American capitalism, it normally doesn't do good things for people very long. Mm -hmm. So how do you think this industry will fare as it becomes more commodified? As you see things like Philip Morris and those people, for example, getting themselves prepared to make the move into the market. I mean, I imagine that, you know, farmers are gonna be like, okay, this plant medicine is dipping into our pockets a little too much, let's go take them all, let's go buy them up. And eventually, I mean, that's already happening. You know, you're starting to see big companies come in, whether it's, you know, uh, multi-state operators, you know, they're coming in and trying to gobble up as much as they can. And I mean, you just don't want it to go corporate because there's a culture behind cannabis that's, you know, you can't replace it. You know, the culture behind cannabis is nothing like corporate. It's about healing. It's about elevating your wellness through the plants. And corporate, they can't, they can't replicate that. They can't replicate that culture. And usually that's what I mean, when, when, when the corporate structure comes and takes over, it's not gonna be good for anybody else. It's not gonna be good for the man that's really trying to find another alternative way to, to heal himself or to help us you know, find solutions for his pains or, or, or whatever issues he's going through. Well, something I think that's interesting in what you described there is that I think when people think about the culture, they're thinking about something like totally different than what you say. And so, at first, I was wondering if for some people you have to lean away from the culture, at least the perception that people have. But the truth is, for what you're doing, there's an existing culture that actually is much easier for you because you can lean into it. Mm -hmm. that, that's a big distinction that we wind up with this. So I'm curious, 10 years from now, where do you see this all going? 10 years from now, um, you know, I expect a lot of innovation in the industry. It's starting to happen. I expect there to be you know, people using, you know, when we're just talking about cannabis, you know, right now it's probably like, you know, 65% flour used to, you know, 35%, you know, um, processed goods. You know, in 10 years from now, I honestly expect to see that flip-flop. You know, people not using as much flour, and mainly because there are better applications, more direct applications that people are able to get, you know, what they want, what they need personally. Like I was talking about personalized medicine. And so for you, all of this as it's gone and starting this business and getting it going and everything else, what is maybe the hardest thing that you came across in it that you didn't realize was going to be on the other side? Hardest thing I've come across in this industry? Um, I mean, like I said, besides the people issues that you deal with, you know, just uh, making sure those people that are on your team are there for the right reasons. 
Obviously, that's another people or issue, but it's really just people issue because, like I said, the processes are easy. It's just finding the right people to work with. You know, I've been in business for a little bit and ever since I retired. You know, I've been burnt, you know, and it's hard to find quality people that aren't just looking out for themselves and, 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 and have a larger vision about the things that they want to do uh, in their life and, and how they want to help people. And it's really about finding people that are evenly yoked and people that are ready to serve. I feel like that's the, that's the main uh, denominator between the people that we work with. Everybody's here to serve. All right, and we have questions from our wonderful audience here that if hopefully this thing ain't got no password on it. Whew, all right. <laughs> that was my biggest fear is that I was gonna sit here and have to get a password and then get somebody else to go check this out. All right, let's see. All right, so first question we got here. What did you have to learn when starting and supporting a full-time business that you didn't know when you were a full-time athlete? You gotta have a, you gotta have goals. You gotta have a vision. Vision in our company, we call it the VMC. And I should have known this coming into the cannabis industry because you know my foundation. You know we have a VMC and what we stand for. But that was the last, That wasn't the first thing that I did when I came here. You know we kind of just you know, got thrown into it and was just trying to scramble and do this and that without setting up a, a, the correct foundation for us to stand on. And obviously, you know, without setting your uh, foundation, you're standing on sand, you're gonna go whichever way the wind blows you. So, you know, being able to, you know, uh, you know set ourselves up for success by putting everything in front of us that we wanted to do and, and put, putting down the things on paper that bring us together, like our, our, our core values, and obviously putting our vision and mission statement together and obviously operating under that, using that as a filter to, for everything that comes in. You know, anything from a partnership that you wanna to do to um, a deal or whatever you wanna do, but just dropping it through that filter and just seeing if it checks off amongst uh, most of the things that are in your, in your, in your core values. And that, that lends itself to being okay to, 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 to partake in whatever that is that you're, that you're aiming to do. And see, it's interesting because I, th I would think that that would be like one of the more transferable things from athletics because that's what all the coaches are always talking about is culture and all of that, right? Mm. Not Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> Not Detroit. Yeah, I was trying to avoid telling that joke myself. But now that you did, I was like, yeah, maybe you don't learn a winning culture with the Detroit Lions. There we go. Uh, our next question is, where do you see the biggest opportunity for growth in the industry? The biggest opportunity for growth I'm seeing right now in the industry, mm, obviously it's going, to, it's going to come with innovation and I'll just go back to creating new applications for the, for the plant. Um, that's part of the stereotype like in the stigma, the smoking of the plant, but creating, like I say, educating folks on what and what it does and creating different um, avenues for people to partake. Um, not that everybody wants to partake, but if you can, you know, pull on somebody's heartstrings and with ways that it can help them and their ailments, there's something to say for it. There's something, there's something there. Got you. Now, our next question. Obviously, CTE is a big conversation in the NFL. Is there research that suggests that cannabis products could ease the effects of CTE or even improve the condition itself? Um, going back to the IPI, they do have um, research where they're doing on mice. And there are, they are able to affect the brain and shrink the, and stop and shrink the tumor size of mice in their brains and in their bodies. So yes, there is education, there is research done on it. I'm not sure about the publication of those research papers, but I'll just go back to what I was saying earlier, you know. We're in this place right now of not knowing solely because 
it was taken away from us. What, not, I'm not gonna say way back when, but I forget how many years ago, but it was taken away from us from, from being that healing agent. So we have a long way to go. Um, will it happen in 10 years? Will we really fully understand the cannabinoids of this plant in 10 years? I would love to, but I doubt it. You know, it's really gonna take, like I say, legalization. But um, I think that um, it's a lot of it's gonna happen, a lot of the progress in this industry is just gonna happen with research. And not to go all holiday and express on it, but one of the trick bags of talking about CTE is they don't really know you have CTE until you're dead. Yeah. Like, and so it's become kind of this catch-all phrase, almost in an unfortunate way, where anything happens, you know, involving a football player, like, oh, it's a CTE, CTE. Part of what's tricky is that when CTE is found in these cases is often where you have reason to believe that CTE is there in the first place. And so you wind up with this confirmation bias that comes up because it's like, hey, I think that guy has CTE. What do you know we had CTE? And that figuring things out for that is always going to be difficult until they find a way to diagnose it while people are actually alive. Because otherwise all they're really doing is going back and gaining an understanding for things that had happened previously. Mm -hmm. So like I noticed that happened a lot when people have these discussions and I imagine for football players now that everybody, everybody got a term to call it, right? Like, ah, CTE, ha ha ha, <laughs> yeah, kind of funny. It's not funny. <laughs> Yeah, no, like my buddy Dominique Fosberg, you talked about seeing the concussion movie. And mm -hmm. he was like, it's like watching a horror oh, movie, yeah. except it's about you. Oh, man. That was, that was, that was a little chilling. Yeah, that's, yeah it was. That's it what was. he said. He was just like, oh, so this is me. Like, this, this thing is not, we're talking directly about my own life. It's scary because you, you think about all the times you've, whether come into contact or come in contact with the ground. You just don't know. Right. But there's ways that, you know, we're, that's what we're, that's, that's part of it, man. Finding, you know, solutions for cognitive issues. That's part of our um, part of our goals with with the IPI. So to be able to you know to help our brethren, obviously we're doing that in the cannabis space. But to be able to do something um, from the cognitive and mental side of it, you know that's next level for us. All right. Next question: To what extent do folks need to try different methods to find what will help them with their health problems? To what extent? I don't know if there is an extent as long as it's not detrimental to your health. I don't think that, you know, finding a way to, you know, heal your body um, naturally, I don't think you, I mean, you should exhaust all options, honestly. You know, some, I know, you know, people that are dealing with, you know, life and death issues, that's what they're doing. They're trying to exhaust every option they can, you know. They're trying to get all the, 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 the research um, operations that they can get, you know. It's, there's no point, I think, that you know, when you're trying to affect your health and your quality of life, I don't think you can exhaust that. I think that you just keep going until you could try to find it or yeah, you're I, not here no more. Yeah, I wouldn't want to go Holiday Inn Express twice on you in one panel, but I would say what extent to find things that will help. I don't know where the point is where I'm like, man, I just looked, but you know what? I'm not going to look no more. There may be something else on the other side. No, I'm just going to take this shit. Whatever it is, <laughs> I'm just going to sit around in pain. I'm sick of looking. No, no. keep going. Mm -hmm. But I guess this does kind of take to a different place, though, because I think the direction that this question probably goes in is more toward what we're talking about. I guess because of some of the absence of research that we're talking about, it's almost to a lot of people unverified. And they would feel like they were t making an experimental move by trying something like this, regardless of, you know, how founded it may be in what's happened in history. Like it's when people start talking about like Eastern medicine and the things they read. And you're like, oh, yeah, so this little thing's going to do that. Except the thing is, every now and then it really does. Yeah. That's what I'm saying, plant medicine, things derived of the earth, I feel like they're put, they're put here for a reason. You know, God put them here for a reason, for us to find them and figure out how to use them best for us. 
So you mentioned earlier um, that you know the big farmers coming and buying up these companies. Yep. Are you saying that there's not a number they could throw at you to make you take this operation and hand it over to the over? <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day, <laughs> we all in this industry would love to be able to sell our process, our IP to a larger company, you know. But at the end of the day, you know, being able to help people, you know, that's really what it's all about. You know, we got into the industry, yeah, we want to make some hay here, but at the same time, being able to see and meet those people that we're helping, you know, that just makes you be like, okay, how do we set this business up for the long term so that we can continue to do what we want to do and pass it along to our children? Yeah, it's, if the opportunity comes to be able to, uh, you know, for somebody to acquiesce us, and that's great. You know, we'll look at it when the time comes. All right, so as we're wrapping this up, make sure that people know how they can find Primitive to get more information about what you're doing. Indeed, yeah. Check us out at primitivegroup.com. Um, look forward to dropping a new product line um, called Primitive Performance. And that really, surround, that really revolves around us using uh, a nanotechnology and being able to, and what nanotechnology does versus, you know, the, the processed oils that people put in drinks or all the processed goods, the edibles, it's just, it's, just, it's just more bioavailability, meaning it gets to your bloodstream instead of being consumed in your gut. So it's better for the body. Um, not that the other products that aren't nano aren't good for the body, they're just not as effective. Now currently you were just in Michigan, are there plans to move this to other states? Yes, um, obviously we wanna take, take care of our background first, but I mean, we have brothers in different states uh, that are doing um, cannabis, have to have cannabis op operations. We've spoken to them. So, I mean, it could look like a licensing deal. Um, it could be brick and mortar. Obviously, brick and mortar is a little bit harder, but licensing deals are able, it allows us to take our product, whether it's the primitive performance, which would be both TAC and CBD, so you can have the e-commerce side to it because there's no TAC in it, you can sell it online with CBD being legal. Um, but, you know, that's where, that's where we're going. All right, and that is P-R-I-M-I-T-I-V. Yes, primitive without the E on the end. It's very, very primitive. That's it, gotta make, it's just the thing, you gotta make sure it's like naming your barbershop. You're right. Primitive, you gotta spell it out sometimes. Primitive Group, without the E, primitivegroup.com. Please right. check it out. All right, and want to thank everybody for joining us here in the Bill James Room. And thank you for that applause. This recording is the property of 42 Analytics and may not be published, broadcast, rewritten, or redistributed without the express written consent of 42 Analytics. Any opinions expressed by panelists are their own and do not represent the beliefs of the conference, 42 Analytics, or the MIT Sloan School of Management. 42 Analytics Educational, Inc. reserves all rights in the content.